So what has gone around are two handouts that are fresh today and a third if you were not here last week. And that is simply, you could have gotten that online, but I like to have it so that I can mark it up or have a hard copy. And it's simply um, selections from the Westminster Confession of Faith on providence and decree and uh, with the scripture references. Um, you may have a copy or uh, you can, it's easy to find copies of the Confession of Faith. They don't all have the scripture references printed. And, um, and so I just wanted you to have that. The decree of God and the providence of God are the backdrop to this discussion that we're having for three weeks. Um, and so, um, yeah, you got it? Okay, so what else went around today is um, uh, one page is an article from Table Talk Magazine, that's by Ligonier Ministries, and it's several years old, but it's right on uh, target with the topic that we have. In fact, I think the title of their article was Providence and Prayer. I believe it was, as I, as I Googled and searched for, for that, I had a recollection or a suspicion that they had something on this, and sure enough, and I'm gonna cite that today. So that's the, the one page that's floating around. The front and back, <clears throat> excuse me, are, um, are the notes from which we will talk today, and it begins with a review of last week. And that's not just for those who weren't here, it's for all of us, including me, just to, to because these things connect and build, and so we will begin uh, this week and next with a review of what we've talked about, the questions that have arisen, and, and how we're trying to address this, this matter. Um, it would be appropriate, uh, a series like this, uh, to pray, wouldn't it? So let me, let me pray. Father, we pray, we come before you, we open our hearts to you uh, at your invitation, and through the access that you have granted us through a great high priest. Uh, you're a father in heaven who delights to hear us and to meet with us. So we, we step into that together today, the reality that you are here, you're with us, and we would ask that you, your spirit, uh, would teach us and lead us forward, changing us and shaping us and meeting us here in, this, in these uh, moments together for the sake of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Okay, uh, so has everybody gotten the papers? Uh, we've got, okay, we're ready to roll. Yeah, you need, what do you need? All of it? Yeah, actually, <laughs> two pages. Uh, here they are. Yeah. So I will, I'll walk us uh, through these together. And I will, again, start with a preview, a review of, uh, of what we covered last week. So when we talk about providence, what do we mean? Uh, it's a word that um, kind of begs for definition, and we need to understand what it is and what it isn't. Um, and if you'll notice, uh, right below the definition that we covered last week, I've added the, the term contra-fatalism. <laughs> it's not fatal. We're not talking about fatalism. And, and before we know it, that, that notion that, that things are predetermined and they're going to happen anyway 
sort of works its way into our thinking about life in this world as Christians and, and about prayer uh, is our issue today. But we're not talking about fatalism. Uh, we're not talking about things that um, whatever will be, will be. Remember the old, some of you will remember the old Doris Day, I think, right? So, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. Um, um, and if we're not careful, that becomes the way we think about these matters. And when we have a, such a high view of God that we do, that we believe the scriptures give us, a high view of God who, who is in charge, who is supreme, who is sovereign, then all the more we, we run the risk of letting that bleed into a fatalistic kind of way of thinking and living. And so why pray? I mean, why read our Bible? Why be here today? You know, why anything is, is a, um, why do anything? <laughs> do we just sort of drift along like the, the driftwood in the river that gets kind of carried by the current? Is that, is that how this works? No, that's not the picture that we get from Scripture. And that may be how we find that we are living at, at any given point, but, but we're not talking about fatalism. Uh, not, it's not whatever will be, will be. And yet there is a grand mystery, and I, and I, and I don't want to set your expectations beyond the mystery, because when we finish our discussion, there will still be mystery, <laughs> okay? <laughs> Just know that. Uh, but the question is, what can we say based on what Scripture presents between fatalism and, um, and a God who's absent, uh, there's something in between that, that and, it, and it spills into the way we pray. So here's the definition that we, uh, we're, we're using uh, as we go. This is, if you are here last week, you heard this. If creation was a unique exercise of divine energy causing the world to be, providence is a continued exercise of that same energy, whereby the creator, according to his will, a keeps all creatures in being. He's the reason that we exist, and he keeps us there. He involves himself in all events. There's not anything. He is not the watchmaker, you know, who made the watch and, and wound it up and left it to run on its own. He is engaged and involved in this world, uh, and he directs all things to their appointed end. And there's where we get into some of the mystery um, of how does that work this is J.I. Packer writing who says, the doctrine of providence teaches Christians that they are never in the grip of blind forces, fortune, chance, luck, fate, fatalism. All that happens to them is divinely planned and each event comes as a new summons to trust, obey, and rejoice, knowing that all is for one spiritual, eternal, and eternal good, Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good. That's the God that we are praying to. So what do we mean by prayer? Again, this is from the, the catechisms, and um, I wanted you to have this again just because it, it is bedrock for our discussion about how we pray, how we understand prayer. It is an offering up of our desires unto God, desires to God, for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ by the help of his spirit with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. And um, note again that the words in, a, in italics are the two which are not found in both. 
So the larger catechism adds one element, the shorter another, you put them together and you've got the full, full deal, uh, a real solid. Um, John, this is not in your notes, but John Calvin says on prayer, it is nothing else than the opening up of our heart before God. It's nothing else than that. It's opening our heart before God. And what we're going to hear today is that he is, he is touched by our, our weariness. He is touched by our brokenness. And that alone moves us into this uh, arena of prayer to know that there's a Father in heaven. We were opening our heart to him, and he is touched by our weakness. So hang on to that as we walk down this mystery, mystery-filled road. Um, Brian Chapel called it a dynamic monologue. Again, this is repetition, but that's a good way to, for us to learn. Rather than a conversation with God, he calls it a dynamic monologue. In this speaking to God, the spirit of heaven stirs the spirit of the believer to, the, to speak to the heavenly father. He initiates it. What is it that leads me to prayer? Is it the, the crisis that I'm in? Well, it might be, but it's, but it's simultaneously the Spirit of God stirring me to prayer. Um, that's why I go where I go. <laughs> um, I had a seminary professor who said, you know, when you read through these Psalms and, and you see these why God, how long, oh God, prayers again and again and again, it was Ralph Davis who said, Whatever you can say, the psalmist knew where to go. He wasn't running to the, to the, to the boys on the corner of, you know, with, his, with his issues and his problems. He knew where to go. And that's because we have a father who hears, who is touched by our weakness. Um, so our question today, we've got, um, I'm, I'm setting these uh, little discussions around several questions. And you'll see in bold the, the, the bold questions. <laughs> these, are, these are big questions that we'll try to get some handles on. Um, and the first one is, does prayer change God's mind? Okay. Why pray? If God already knows, why pray? Does prayer change God's mind? And I, before we dive in, I'd just love to hear from just a couple of you, just kind of off the cuff, what do, you, what do you think? Does prayer change God's mind? Here's a no. Anybody say Yes. I don't know. Yeah. How many would say, I don't know? Yeah. I think we're, um, it's, it's a legit question. Does prayer change God's mind? Um, on the one hand, and this is, uh, for, if you take a look at Isaiah 38, and I think somebody mentioned this passage last, I think it was Jan mentioned this last week. On the one hand, God is represented as one who, does, who not only makes up his mind in response to prayer, but who also appears to change his mind because of prayer. Now, I, I, you heard the, the inflection of my voice there. Um, when you read this passage in, in uh, Isaiah about Hezekiah, who became sick, was at the point of death, Isaiah the prophet came to him and said, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. 
Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, go and say to Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend this city. Well, it certainly looks as if Hezekiah's weeping and wailing and intense prayer altered things. Would you be willing to say that prayer alters things if not change God's mind? Yeah, probably so. That's a little easier for us to hear and, and believe. Um, the backdrop again, remember I said it's decrees and providence of God, and that is spelled out better than I ever could in a few moments for sure on that Westminster Confession handout that you also have to take home with you from last week as well. So think about the decrees, the providence, and then Hezekiah's prayer. Numbers 23, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Now, you, you know by now uh, there's a difficulty in taking any verse and sort of uh, out of its context and building a theology around that. But what we, what we need to say is that whatever those two passages mean, they don't contradict one another. There's, there's a part of the mystery, again, mystery, that in one case, it, it, every indication is that God changed his mind, at, or at least his timetable. <laughs> he changed his timetable, if not his mind, uh, unless he intended all along to extend Hezekiah's life 15 years. And it was the pleas of Hezekiah that triggered the, the, the outworking of that. So again, mystery, yes, there's mystery here, but we want to have as many handles as we can on what the scriptures say about prayer. So um, Hezekiah is a picture of, of what it looks like to, to lean, on, lean into God. To, to, you're, and you notice as he, what do you notice about his prayer? You notice anything about his prayer? What does he appeal to? Kind of, yeah. Remember, I have been faithful to you. Would you be faithful to me? <laughs> um, he's remembering that this is a God who works on promises, and there's a covenant sort of underlying the notion, right? Uh, so how we pray uh, is, and what we pray because of our understanding of who God is and who we are is a factor as well. So how do these uh, things fit together? Uh, here are words from three, and I'm going to add a fourth, that, um, that begin to connect the dots. That, that take this, he is not man who should change his mind, and here is a picture of uh, a timetable being altered because of prayer. Um, and this is that touched by our weakness, John Oswald's commentaries on Isaiah, that living God is able to be touched by our weakness, Unlike the idols who have eyes and ears but can neither see nor hear, God both knows and intervenes in the life of his people. So the contrast is between a God who is living and alive and who hears and who cares and is touched by our weakness as opposed to idols who don't. They might have eyes and ears, but they don't hear or see. And so that's the picture that comes to us in Scripture is of a God who hears and a God who is touched. Uh, 
So again, that alone drives us to pray to a God who is in charge because he is also touched by our weakness. And if the, and if the example of Hezekiah is any example, it is that we, that we are praying to a God who responds to prayer. We would, we, we've got to go that far if we're not willing to say that it, we, it does not change his mind, he does respond. Yeah, I've got to comment on that. Yeah. I'm just thinking about this. And yes, the scripture does say that he should not change his mind. But I think um, thinking about it that, that perhaps what that means, that he won't change his mind, because I just read the numbers that uh, mm-hmm. came from, what it's saying is not that God will never change his mind. It's just that he will not willy-nilly change his mind just because he feels like it. But if there's a reason, he will change his mind. If you look at um, what God said to the nation of Israel, he says, I will bless you if you do all the, if you follow me. Yeah. But if you, if you turn away from me, then yeah. I will curse you. So does that mean God changed his mind? Because that's what happened. They did get cursed, right? Yeah. Yeah, you hear all that? That's a good point. And, and, the, and the way God has set things in motion is uh, a lot of the blessings that were, that were promised are conditional to Israel. That if this, choose this day whom you will serve, that is an ongoing thing. In fact, even in the New Testament, it's to those who repent, right? It's those who, who hear his call that receive the blessings of, of redemption and forgiveness, um, it's not a universalism, you know, it is God has declared the, the way and here is the way and it is narrow. Uh, so God, um, doesn't change his mind. Um, he lays before, I would say he lays before his people two paths and, and the choices are made, uh, along those lines. Right? Uh-huh. Which is kind of leads me to think that God doesn't worry as much, that's the wrong word, but about the individual outcomes of these individual things. He is compassionate, he saw his heart, he said, okay. because his overarching plan isn't going to be really messed with by those details. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, there's so many of these places. Yeah. It can be. Uh, yeah. This is what John Frame says about these things. He says, prayer does not change the eternal plan of God, but within that eternal plan, there are many plans for means and ends. So there is a, uh, a plan that God has orchestrated and, and oversees but the means by which that plan is accomplished uh, include things like second causes or our prayers. <laughs> that, is, that is the best way to, to see how, how, we, how we have a God who has things in control as well as seemingly giving control 
you know, to us uh, that, that there are things that do happen because we pray and there are things that don't happen because we don't. Um, but all of that fits within God's eternal plan. Uh, it's, it's a bit like we have someone who's, who's loving, uh, generous, benevolent, um, sovereign rule of the world takes us and our weaknesses and our needs and our prayers and our failures, all of this, uh, into, into account. And the means by which, this is Frame's point, the means by which his will is accomplished uh, is given to us to enact. Yeah. Oh, and so for yes. Example, if you have a child and a father, right? And the father says, "Oh, I'm going to take you out to Dairy Queen." Yeah. And the child's like, "Oh, Dairy Queen." And then on the way, they pass Ben and Jerry's, and they, they, and the kid says, "Oh, I really would rather go to Ben and Jerry's. Can we go there instead?" And the father might say, "Oh, well, sure, let's go there." But would you say, "Oh, the father broke his word, didn't he?" <laughs> no. No. That's good. That's good. Well, this is a great point to insert. I think I had it for next week in the lesson, but another Kellerism who says, taking all these things together, says, um, God gives us what we would have asked for if we knew what he knew. If, 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 if the father knows that Ben and Jerry's is on the way... <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's really what I had in mind all along. Uh, you, you've asked for ice cream, and, and here it is. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's very, very good. Yes. That's a good point. A lot of times scripture presents things in ways that, um, that kind of come down to our level, you know, so to speak, uh, so that we can understand and that's what it looks like. Yeah. He delights 
to hear here. Uh, that's certainly true. Uh, you can't talk about prayer without getting to the, this notion of our relationship with him. And the image that is recurringly emphasized is a father. Uh, and for some people, that is not a good image. But um, because of experience or your own story, but the father that you all, that we all long for, <laughs> that, we, that we get glimpses of in this world is fulfilled. That we, there's a longing for a father who loves us and cares for us, and that's exactly who we have. And you're exactly right. Uh, he, he delights in the cries and the, and the, and the pleas of, of his children uh, as we come to him. So, yeah, that's certainly true. Um, I loved... Uh, I wanted to include these words from uh, B.A. Palmer. He was a uh, pastor of a church in New Orleans um, uh, probably 150 years ago. I don't remember exactly. He is uh, cited uh, in this book, which is why I even know about him. Uh, but uh, Doug Kelly has written about him and quotes him a couple of times, and I bought his book uh, in preparation for this. Um, the scriptural principle is not that favors are by impor our importunity, that is our, our ringing, our, our, our uh, persistent prayer. We don't wring things out of God's hands reluctantly. It's not like he's holding on something and if we pray long enough and hard enough, he, he lets go um, out of his reluctance. But that... But that they antedate the prayer in the determinations of his sovereign and gracious will. And the true spirit of prayer, which he also imparts, is the sign and pledge of the gift to be conveyed. Prayer, then, is not the cause which procures through its own efficiency, but merely the antecedent condition upon which a predetermined benefit is suspended. Now, you can lose yourself, trip over that. But here's the deal. The purpose... To give on Jehovah's part is sovereign and free, and it is the spontaneous movement of his own gracious and loving will. Yet in the exercise of the same sovereignty and goodness, he interposes the prayer of the creature as the channel through which his favor shall descend. That's what I wanted you to hear. The rest of it belongs with it. Um, and you, you've got to read through that two or three times to kind of catch what he's saying. But what he's saying is we don't wring things out of a father's hand who is reluctant to give. No, just the opposite. But our prayers are the channel through which those blessings are bestowed. But isn't it odd that God himself gives the example of the persistent? Yeah. You know, widow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So he's teaching us to actually keep trying to Exactly. Well, the, the, yeah, so the, the, uh, the, the way to read and interpret a parable is to get the, 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 the key kernel idea for, of that and not read too much into every, every line of a parable. But the notion of that parable, and that was on our list last week, which we didn't talk about, but it was there, that we are to be persistent. We are to keep coming. 
and, and we're coming not because he's reluctant. You never get that. The parable does not teach that he's reluctant. The parable is teaching persistent prayer, continuing to come to a father who is generous and ready when the time is right. And, and that's what we don't know. Time, as Mark reminded us, we don't know when the time is right. And, and it's not like God starts the clock when we start praying and is waiting until the hand gets to us or the date on the calendar. You know, it's not time bound, but the, what it's teaching is that we, that we continue to come and we continue to come because he is good. It's not like the vending machine, which is how many of us treat this whole thing, that if I put my, it's now a dollar, if I put my dollar into the vending machine and I don't get out what I thought I was getting, I keep, I bang on it, I, I, I look for a manager or, you know, it's not that. We don't pray vending machine prayers. It's not if I pray the right words, if I, if I turn my prayer and use better words or if I'm more intense or, or more passionate that God hears that. Um, and now, okay, he heard my prayer. <laughs> no, he hears my feeble monosyllable prayers that are not articulate and he's not waiting until I get the prayer right. He's, he's, he's waiting for something else at times. And by the way, that's our topic ne next week is why, why so long about the silence of God. So we will, we will get to that in a little more depth than we, than we will today. But um, there are reasons to pray. So here's the question. If God is in charge, what difference do our prayers make? Why do we pray? That's really our, our assigned topic. And this is how John Frame, theologian, answers this. There's three reasons. One is normative. God commands it in Scripture. That First Thessalonians is pray always without ceasing. We're, we're commanded to pray. Um, that might be enough of a reason. <laughs> it, it should be enough of a reason. If we understand it, we, we, we do it because we're commanded to. But there's also what Frame calls an existential reason. That is what we experience. And the Luke 11 passage is about prayer and the good father who knows how to respond. And so fellowship with the father is a second big reason that we pray. Not just because we're commanded, but because the fellowship that we have with the Father, which is why Doug Kelly would say, there's a, he would say there's another reason to pray, and it's that it changes us. That it changes us. It, it grows us in maturity. This fellowship with the Father is an ongoing, it's a dynamic, it is, it is um, for our good <laughs> that we pray in fellowship with the Father. And, and actually the delayed waiting sometimes is just growing maturity in us. It's grow, it's, we're learning to think, rethink things in light of God's priorities and perspectives sometimes. Um, learning to pray and learning about his character as we pray. So there's a, there's a fellowship with the Father and a benefit to us. But this is why you know, we're talking about this. It's, it's the third one, and that is the question about how, and he calls it situational, that prayer actually does change things. God ordains prayer. This is what I was saying earlier that others have said before me, long before me. God ordains prayer as a means to change history, <laughs> even. 
there are things that happen because of prayer and things that do not happen because of prayer. Now, um, he, that may sound like he's overstating things, but James 4 says you do not have because you do not ask. And so we ask and we ask and we ask persistently and we expect that, that we will get an answer to that prayer. And it may not be the way we have framed it. It might be another ice cream parlor, you know, but it may be something better as somebody else has suggested. But it does have effect. And here's where we get into the mystery. Calvin said about James 5, um, Calvin is both, that's where uh, Elijah, a normal man like a, a man like you and me prayed, and it finally rained after three years of drought. Calvin is both bold and yet careful in his language on that passage. He says, prayer in some sense, quote, affected the weather conditions in Israel. Obviously, in the ultimate sense, God is in charge of everything that occurs. Our prayers could not possibly wrest control of any part of the universe away from God. However, it is part of God's goodness and appointment that he allows the world to be susceptible to our prayers. How he does this, you ready? How he maintains control of history and yet makes human prayer and action responsible within history is one of the most practical mysteries of the Bible. But because it's a mystery, uh, doesn't give us... uh, Room or allowance to then walk away from prayer, because as we've been, I've been trying to say, these others have. It is the means by which God has determined that His His purpose is implemented and comes to fulfillment. That the prayers are a means to an end, and so we pray. Um, sometimes you know our prayers are forty years, right? I mean, you've lived that or heard that. And at the end of the day, um, when, when I've prayed for something for 40 years and I die, maybe even the answer to that prayer is in another lifetime. Maybe it's beyond my lifetime. We, just, we don't know those things. That's part of the mystery. But, um, but we, are, we have uh, a God who, who knows, who has planned, and yet we are invited to participate in the unfolding of that plan by our prayers. Um, I will, I think it fits here. Uh, it, I may get back to this next week, but Doug Kelly in his book um, uh, uses the example of one of the old mills that the, the grind the, the, grind the uh, wheat, you know, the corn. You know, uh, water from a stream builds up into a pool, and when it reaches a certain level, it, it it starts the, the mill turning and keeps it turning. If the water table drops or the level of the pond drops, guess what happens? The wheel stops. But when there's enough water to turn the wheel, then, um, then, then, what, then we, it, it works. <laughs> and we have a product that comes out on the end. And, and, and Doug Kelly suggests that it may be that our prayers are the drops of water that are filling the pool. And he's, he's just using what he knows to be true about scripture and prayer, this mystery of providence, and the effectiveness of prayer with our experience and supposing that um, that 
could be why uh, we pray so many times for something that really would only ultimately require one request, but, but, but as they build up, it actually turns the wheel, and he talks about the wheel, of grinding, the grinding the wheel of providence <laughs> uh, in, the, in the same manner. Um, that, that, you know, all kinds of analogies eventually sort of um, leave us short, but, but if that is a, a picture that helps you understand uh, why a prayer um, has seemingly gone unanswered for a long period of time, it may simply be that the time is not right. And um, when we go back to our definition, we're praying, praying for things according to his will, right? Uh, it's, we're coming to a father, uh, praying for things that fit his will, and we don't know what that will is. We know what our desires are, and we're, we're wanting to see those desires fulfilled, and we have this promise you do not have because you do not ask, and so we keep coming, we keep knocking, and we keep after it. Um, any comments there before we, I'm going to move into another related topic, but any, anything you want to add or, yeah. Good, thank you. Yeah, that's a good, good comment. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I hear often and I have to be careful for is the idea that if I didn't get what I asked for, it's because I'm going to get something better. Maybe. Probably, but you may not define it as better. So if I say, okay, you know, I wanted this, but now I'm going to get this better thing, and then I don't get this or that better thing that I thought I was supposed to get, that's when we have to fall back to recognizing that whatever God ends up doing really is the good thing. Yeah. Even if it doesn't seem like we just went to the better ice cream parlor. Yeah. You know, even though it seems like he just drove past all of them. I've had that experience in my yeah. life where it feels like God just drove past all the ice cream parlors. What are we doing? Right. You know? <laughs> but I've long, known him long enough to know that wherever he's driving is the right place. Eventually I'll even know that even if yeah, I think that's right. Well said. Mm -hmm. What about the um, responses you hear that the reason why your prayer wasn't answered, you didn't have enough faith? Ah, that's a good one, yeah. Everybody heard that one before? <laughs> or, 
Uh, what at, is it because um, you don't have enough faith? There is this, the prayer of... Yeah, 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 huh? Yeah. In fact, uh, you may uh, have heard, the, heard stories or even experienced um, uh, those that might rush to a hospital room and say, um, the reason you're here is a lack of faith. Um, let me pray for you in the ways you should be praying for yourself. I mean, I've, I've sadly encountered that. And um, there, that's, that whole way of thinking is based on certain things. It's kind of the danger, as I said earlier, about taking a verse out of context and not fitting it with everything else the scriptures say about prayer and faith. Because um, you can take a passage here or there and, and build a theology of prayer that, that goes in a certain direction that is not consistent with everything the scriptures say about prayer. And so we all need to be careful about any, any of the ways we read or interpret scripture. But to get to your question, um, it's not a matter of a quantity of faith. It's always the object of our faith, and we, and we are praying to a God who is faithful. So it's not a matter of how much faith do I have or how many times do I pray, but, but, the, but, the, um, but the prayer of faith is, is dependent upon the God who we're praying to. I mean, I think that's the, the starting point and the end point of that. Um, I want to, um, and again, it's follow, falling back into this understanding that um, it's not certain words or certain amount of faith that, that creates the answer. It's the God to whom we pray. It is his um, sovereign determination about those things. So I think if you ever sort of step in that direction, um, just or, or, or with others who do, um, we are told to confess our sins, right? Uh, we are told, you know, there's a passage that says, uh, God won't hear you because of the sin in your life. And so I want to always be... Uh, up to date, you know, with my confession, you know, and say, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to you, Father, as one who is broken and dependent, who is a sinner, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I confess and acknowledge that, and he hears that. We are told that he hears the, the cry of the repentant, and he, 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 he responds to that. But it's not a, a matter of quality. It's never a matter of quality of faith. I mean, quantity. It's the object of our faith um, that, that answers the question and that, that, um, that makes me heard. So, anybody else want to add to that? Or, yeah.
Yes. Absolutely. I hope you heard that. It's it's as we pray, we are changed. It's an example of that and and our affection and our love for those for whom we pray just skyrockets and and takes shape and bears fruit. So we are changed. Just in response to that, years ago I had a tragedy and I never wanted that to happen again and I prayed in faith. Meaning, I told God what not to do. That's really what it meant. I told God, please do not let this ever happen to me again. And then in faith, I believed that he wouldn't do it because I told him not to, and he did. And that was a real crisis of my own faith because all of a sudden God didn't respond to my faith. And the Lord very gently eventually helped me to understand that what is your faith in? As Tony is saying, is your faith in me or is your faith in what you asked God for? Like you told God to move a mountain into the sea and he didn't do it. Were you having enough faith that the mountain was going to move into the sea? It's a different story then were you having enough faith that the sovereign God is good? And it really impacted me for the rest of my life that mm. i got to be careful when I'm having faith in it. I'm not mm. having faith in faith. I'm not having faith that God's going to do what I just told him to. Yeah. I'm having faith yeah. that God is good and does whatever he likes. Yes. Yes, very good. Hey, uh, I want to conclude with two things. One is at the bottom of the handout from the table talk. Um, that's a comment. It's comment about prayer. Prayer in, does change things in one sense. Um, we may not know God's eternal decrees, but we do know that he really uses prayer to accomplish them. That's kind of our big idea for today. We must pray believing that our intercession impacts events because our sovereign Lord hears us and uses us to bring about his purposes. When he, whether he says yes or no, God works through our supplications to execute his plan. Divine providence should not hinder prayer. Instead, it should make us eager to intercede for ourselves and others because we know God makes use of our prayers to accomplish his will. Um, and then, the, then he gives an example. Consider this. If my wife is ill, how do I know that God has not ordained my prayer as the secondary means to heal her? There's a physician involved, but my prayers are a part of that. Perhaps my supplication will lead to her healing. There are some things the Lord will not do if we do not ask, and so we must pray. We don't know, and so we pray. Um, I think I've got, I'll do this and let you think about this between now and next week. This is at the bottom of the two-page handout. How does the Holy Spirit influence our prayers? 
We know from Romans 8 that we have a, an intercessor who intercedes for us. The Spirit is engaged and involved. In fact, the way I've framed it here, uh, three voices or three agents in prayer. There's Jesus Christ in heaven who is our great high priest. He is interceding for us constantly. The things that we should be praying for, he is. <laughs> Think about that. The things that we are, we are halfway praying for, he is fully praying for. Uh, so Jesus Christ intercedes for us in heaven. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us from within. So in heaven and from within, we've got help. We have an intercessor. That's how they're both uh, Son and Spirit of the Trinity are taking our prayers to the Father. So there's a trinity involved, and we are crying out in prayer. Uh, here's uh, how Palmer again states it, and I love this. The Spirit takes what Jesus is praying, okay? Jesus, our great high priest, he is praying for us. The Spirit takes what Jesus is praying and causes us to pray for it. This is how our intercessions re-echo the intercession of the great high priest who appears in heaven for us, then the secret will known to the great high priest and the Father is re-echoed in some way in our praying by the Spirit who comes from the Father and the Son. This explains how our praying on the basis of God's revealed will begins to get in line with the secret will. We talked about that last week. Somebody said, I never heard of the secret will of God. Well, it's basically the things that are not revealed that will be. <laughs> And there's plenty of those. <laughs> what we have, we have. And there's a lot that we don't. That's Deuteronomy 29. Um, but we pray based on the revealed will to get in line with the rest of God's will, of what will be and, and what he has determined is good. So it's not fatalism. It's, it's not a done deal. But there are means to an end, and they include the things that we do in this world, the things that we do in prayer the, the prayers that we utter are a part of how God accomplishes his will. So why do we pray? Uh, well, we're commanded to. Uh, fellowship with the Father, it changes us and, and, it, and it changes our love for others for whom we're praying if, if, and more. It grows maturity in us. So we're told to. It's fellowship with the Father that changes us and it actually does change things. There's mystery there, but it's a means to an end. It's those drops of water in the pond that turn the wheel. And so I'm going to take my weekly prayer list and, and lean into it. And I've got names on that. And I've got situations and circumstances. And I lean into it even more so persistently because... We understand that God uses our prayers to accomplish his purposes. Lord, would you help us, grow us, train us, and teach us, uh, build into us uh, a dependence upon you, a faith in you, knowing that you are good and trustworthy. There are many unanswered prayers in this room. Father, we come to you knowing that you are good and that you hear our prayer and you hear our cry and you meet us and you delight. Uh, when we look to you and, and voice our heart's desires and concerns to you. So hear us and shape us, we pray, in the name of Christ. Amen.